0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being here at the Monona Terrace. Um, we're here this afternoon to hear a very interesting talk on the top fad diets of um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we named it that because there are so many options out there. And I'm sure you're going to want to hear from Kavita Podar about all that there is. Um, she is with us today from uw um, Health and she has her PhD from Virginia Tech. She started in India as a dietitian and worked at postdoc at John Hopkins before moving to Wisconsin. She's been here since two thousand eleven and has been working at UW Health since two thousand thirteen. Her fields of expertise have always been nutrition and cardiovascular disease. So I'm sure she'll have plenty to to um, share with us today, and we want to thank Natalie Minona I am from the Madison Senior Center, as is Karen. And this is um, Deb Teske over here, and she's from Visiting Angels. So they have some things out there on the table. So please take advantage of them. And again, thank you for being here. And please help me welcome Kavita Buddha. <laughs>
1: thank you, Pat. Well, good afternoon, everyone. As Pat mentioned, I'm Kravita Pudal. I'm a clinical nutritionist at UW Health and I majorly cover prevention. So I work in the preventive cardiology department. And this talk today is really interesting. I have to say that um, in my practice, not a single day goes by wherein I don't come across anyone who is not asking me about fat diet, which means almost every day I come across someone who has a question regarding certain type of diet, it could be for whatever reason. So to that effect, what I'm going to do today is give you some information regarding fat diets, I'm going to talk about pros and cons. Before that, I will also define what's a fat diet. I will talk about why people want to try fat diets, different types that exist out there. Do they really work? Before I get into the eating guidelines, as recommended by the USDA and American Heart Association, to lose weight and maintain general well-being. Okay. So, when I was researching a little bit on fad diets, I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, we say fad diet, fad diet. Let me find out what is fad first. I need to really get a hold and understanding of fad. So when I was Googling, I came across this definition. Um... According to Merriam-Webster's definition, fad is a type of behavior that develops quickly among large number of population. It can be followed very enthusiastically for a period of time because it's deemed cool by social media or one's peer it becomes popular as the number of people adopting the behavior increases and then quickly tends to disappear as the novelty disappears so basically what this is telling us is that fad is there to stay for a short period of time it doesn't last long uh, and Interestingly, in the dictionary, the word fad is followed by the word fade. This couldn't be more appropriate, right? Okay. So, to that effect, having understood what's a fad, what's a fad diet now? Well, a fad diet is a diet plan or an aid could be a diet supplement, could be a diet pill that promises dramatic results in short period of time. Now, remember one thing. These diets are not always healthy, may not always um, result in long-term weight loss, and sometimes it, they may be dangerous. Now, this is of concern for individuals specifically having several medical issues who are on several medical and if you start taking diet supplements or diet pills, you need to be careful. You need to be careful, right? Because you never know when diet pills, diet supplements, medications, etc., can have any interactions. So many a times when people jump on the bandwagon to start having uh, diet pills or diet supplements, they kind of forget to um, address their medical conditions, you know? All right. Now, the reason why, or specifically the reason why popularity of fat diets in this country is going up is because this country is getting more and more focused on weight loss, right? Of course, um, with growing trends in obesity, as you can see in this diagram over here, um, it shows that Two decades ago, rate of obesity was below 15%. There were some states where there were no data available on overweight and obese status, which is good. However, jump ahead two decades later, you'll see rate of obesity has crossed 30%. Even latest trend, this is the most recent information that I found on the Center for Disease Control website. This diagram or this figure over here shows you that now some states in the U.S. have rate of obesity which is more than 35%. And this really gives us something to think about, right? We all also know obesity is considered second leading cause of preventable deaths in U.S. because... Along with obesity comes several comorbid conditions. These conditions include disease of the heart, cancer, stroke, diabetes. Deaths attributed to these medical conditions are almost two-thirds in this country. Of course, people who have tried multiple times to lose weight and have failed, will only get drawn to fad diet, right? Because they are looking to correct their medical conditions. They have made multiple attempts at losing uh, weight, have failed multiple times. So, if a fad diet is promising good results, they will get drawn to it. Along with focus on weight loss comes celebrity endorsements, right? We all see it on the TV today. Um, There is something really compelling about all these celebrities uh, sharing their weight loss triumphs in the media. So when we see that a celebrity comes up and tells us that uh, he or she was successful in losing 20 pounds, 30 pounds and successful in keeping the weight off being on XYZ diet, we kind of scramble to duplicate results, right? We feel if she did it, I can do it as well. Well, guess what? When celebrities are endorsing certain diets, they are not really giving out the whole truth. Because there I'm sure there are several other lifestyle changes that they are doing besides just going on fat diets, which is helping them to lose weight. Also, people are looking for quick fixes. Um people want that magic pill to lose weight. They want quick results, right? So they get drawn to fat diets because fat diets make such promises. Finally, along with this growing obsession with weight loss, there is even growing obsession with looking extra thin. And this is more so because models these days are appearing on um, catwalks, even in the media, promoting skinny image as the norm. So this pushes, and this happens more commonly, I would say, young adolescents and young adults who are kind of looking to get that kind of image because they they consider that image as the norm and are generally dissatisfied with how they look, how much they weigh. They are less concerned with health, more concerned with appearance, so they get drawn to fat diet. Okay, so how do you know if a fat diet is a fad or not? Well, remember one thing, fat diets, more often than not, will promise rapid weight loss. So, You know, they may come out with advertisements which say, okay, raw diet, seven-day fix, lose weight in seven days, and keep it off. So they always tend to promise rapid weight loss. Sometimes fat diets may allow unlimited quantities of certain foods, like cabbage diet, like grapefruit diet, like um, rice diet. Um, Sometimes fat diets also require you to have specific food combinations, more often than not, will have very rigid menu plans, sometimes they will be billed as cure-all, more often than not, they will use testimonials, sometimes may ask you to have expensive supplements, and will advocate no permanent lifestyle change i have seen some some fat diets being critical of the scientific community so this is when you definitely know this diet is a fat diet okay now there are different types of fat diets available when i was kind of looking up some of the fat diets and i just typed fat diet in google i came across like i would say hundreds of them Now, what I have done is picked five common themes which are seen in many fat diets today and go over some of the pros and cons of these themes, okay? Uh, So, there are diets which are low in carb, high protein diets. There are diets which are very, very low in fat. There are diets which allow you unlimited quantities of foods. There is a raw food diet. And then you have gluten-free diet. Nowadays, gluten-free diet is also gaining popularity because people believe that it's going to help you to lose weight. All right. So what's a low-carb, high-protein diet? As the name suggests, these are diets which have very, very restricted amounts of carbohydrates in them. carb content may be as low as 10%, however, no higher than 30%. And this this is really considered low. In a bit I will be talking about what is normal recommendation for carbohydrate intake so that you get an understanding. Now, good examples of this particular diet include Atkins diet. I'm sure most of you must have heard of Atkins diet at some point. This is the most popular example of this particular theme. Then you have the zone diet. You have sugar busters diet. You have protein powered diet. Remember one thing. When you remove a particular nutrient from a diet or restrict it, To a large extent, you have to increase the nutrient or uh, different other nutrients. So in this case, if you are restricting carbohydrates, your fat content is going to go up. It can be as high as 60%. Main contributors of fat in this diet are meat, poultry, eggs and cheese because this is a high protein diet and meats are sources of good protein and people tend to eat more of meats. Also protein amount is four times, sometimes, four times than what is deemed normal and this can really put a load on your kidneys. Now remember the theory behind these diets is that if you consume carbohydrates, carbohydrates are going to cause insulin production in the body, thereby leading to weight gain. And in a sense, it is true, but not always true. And we'll talk about that as well. These diets more often than not are initiated in phases, you have the induction phase wherein the person initially starts the diet and the carbohydrate content is really low. As weight loss progresses, you have the weight loss phase wherein they may tweak carbohydrate content. They may start increasing it. Then again, depending on individual weight loss goals, they may tweak it further. Then you have the maintenance phase. Again, in the maintenance phase, carbohydrate content is variable. Now, you do have short-term benefits of these diets. Of course, it's all associated with weight loss. These diets are, in a sense, restricted, will be lower in calories, and as you start losing weight, eventually you'll see improvements in bio biochemical values like total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, like blood sugar levels, and also improvements in blood pressure if you have blood pressure issues. Now, along with these benefits, there are some side effects as well. Initial side effects of the, the, these diets include headaches, Irritability, mood swings, bad breath, diarrhea, and weakness. Now remember one thing, our brains. Our brains can utilize only glucose as the main source of energy. Brain needs glucose supply constantly, 24-7. When you are limiting carbohydrates in your diet, you are essentially depriving your brain of its main fuel. So you are going to experience irritability, mood swings, headaches, etc. Now bad breath, on the other hand, is associated with ketone body production. So when you decrease carbohydrate content in the body, your body will start mobilizing stored fat. And end product of fat metabolism is ketones. Now the way your body gets rid of ketones is via urine, via skin and breath. So you may experience some bad breath. And then you have diarrhea and weakness. Benefits? Few. However, there are more longer term ramifications of these diets if followed beyond, ex- um, if followed for extended periods of time. Now generally, you know, if a person really needs to lose weight, has to go on a surgery, has to lose about 20 to 30 pounds in a month or so, and starts going on this diet, follows this diet for four weeks or so, you can be fine. We say about four to six weeks is okay, but beyond six weeks it's really not advisable. Long term ramifications of this particular diet include risk of atherosclerosis. Now basically atherosclerosis means built up of plaque in the arteries and and this can really cause several other cardiovascular issues. Now atherosclerosis is mainly attributed to high intake of saturated fat in the diet and cholesterol. Risk of heart disease therefore goes up. Risk of cancer is also high. This is because these diets tend to be very low in fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Today, Um, There is enough evidence suggesting that fruits and vegetables and whole grain fibers do have anti-carcinogenic effect, meaning helps you to lower your risk of certain types of cancers because they have several nutrients and vitamins which help your health. Now, further, long-term ramifications include these diets... High in fat, low in carbohydrate will cause greater loss of body water. So guess what? When you end these diets, your body tends to gain all the weight back, more of water weight back, right? Uh, One of the reasons for this is when carbohydrate content goes down, your body starts mobilizing a lot of glycogen in the body. Now, glycogen, when mobilized, you will lose a lot of water. One molecule of glycogen, two to three molecules of water. So when you are kind of getting rid of glycogen, you are getting rid of water as well. These diets cause ketosis. Because they are burning more fat in the body. However, if your body cannot keep up with clearing ketones from the blood, pH level can change. It can cause high uric acid concentration. And this can be harmful to your health. Also, Renal acid load increases with too much protein. This can cause calciuria, meaning calcium is lost from the body in the urine. Um, Eventually, it can cause bone loss. Overall, you can say these diets are nutritionally inadequate. They lack in vitamins and minerals, specifically vitamin A, E, B1, B6, folic acid, minerals like calcium, magnesium, potassium, and dietary fiber. Because we are not having fruits and vegetables, because we are not having whole grains, we are limiting this intake to a great extent, right? Okay. Moving on low-fat and very low-fat diet. As the name suggests, again, these diets are very, very low in fat content. Fat content can be as low as 10%. Total fat content, this is... Okay. Good examples include Pritikin, principal diet, eat more, weigh less, also known as Dean Ornish diet, and the Scorsdale diet. And remember, this is not all-inclusive list. There are several other diets which could fit this particular definition, but I just picked up a few examples that I could think of. Okay, so these diets tend to be very high in carbs. Carb intake can be as high as 70%, in some cases more than 70%. Protein intake can be low to moderately low, depending on what you plan on eating. And overall calorie intake tends to be lower than 1500 kilocalories per day. Now, these diets have potential health benefits. These include improvements in your total cholesterol values, in your LDL values. Um, It also helps you to reduce cardiovascular risk factors um, like insulin resistance, like blood glucose values improving um, to some extent, however, depending on, again, um, how much carbohydrate you are consuming in this diet. Now, these diets can be healthy if you choose wisely. If you choose more fruits and vegetables, if you choose more legumes, more soy products, you are having healthy intake. Drawbacks again, you may need special food preparation techniques because these are very, very low in um, Fat And uh, when you are looking to cook meals, you use fat, right, in cooking. So you may need special food preparation techniques. These diets may not be as palatable because they are very low in fat. Drawbacks include fat-soluble vitamins and mineral deficiency, There are several vitamins and minerals, and a good example is vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. So these are fat-soluble vitamins, and for your body to absorb these vitamins, you need to have fat in the diet. It's absorbed along with fat. So if you're not really consuming as much fat, you may be consuming um, foods which have vitamin A, like Fruits and vegetables, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, you're not really absorbing it, however. Now, these diets can also cause essential fatty acid deficiencies because they are low in fat. To start off with, um, essential fats are required for maintaining organ systems. And if you develop deficiencies, these organ systems like brain, like skin, are going to be impacted. Now, it can create hormone imbalances as well. Fat is precursor to hormone synthesis. So, hormones are made from fat. So, there may be hormonal imbalances if you follow these diets for long periods of time. It can cause low vitamins E, B12, and zinc because of low meat intake. Some people choose to avoid meat totally. Some may have small quantities, but overall their intake of these vitamins is low. Temporary increases in triglycerides. Now, these temporary increases in triglycerides may become um, permanent as well. That is, if you continue with high carbohydrate intake for a long period of time. You are going to just continuously increase your triglyceride levels in the blood, right? Okay. Um, Very low-fat diets, based on poor food choices, can really be very low in iron, phosphorus, calcium, zinc, and fiber. Moving on. Unlimited quantities of certain foods. So how many of you have heard of such diets? Cabbage diet? Anybody? I've been on a cabbage diet. I tried it for a day and that's about it. Um, How many of you have heard of grapefruit diet? Yeah? A lot of us. So there are several variations of these diets. Basically what happens is proponents of these diets claim that certain food combinations will provide you with enzymes that is going to help you to lose weight or burn off fat magically. It's going to promote chemical reactions which are going to then boost fat loss from the body All these combinations can help you eliminate toxins from your body so that you lose weight. Guess what? There is no scientific evidence suggesting that yes, that is how it helps you. None whatsoever. Benefits again just associated with weight loss. These diets are very restricted. They are very rigid. They have very few options. So, of course, your calorie intake is going to be very low. Um, These diets can be very boring. They may be very low in fat, depending on what kind of diet you are having. They can cause protein, mineral, vitamin deficiencies. They can cause calcium deficiencies, which can, you know, uh, lead to osteoporosis. Um, It can cause iron deficiency. It can also cause essential fatty acid deficiency. Remember, I tried looking for some scientific evidence. I did a lot of search to see if there are any studies which can support the role of these foods in helping us to lose weight. I found none. So there's no scientific evidence. Raw food diet. As the name suggests, again, these diets promote consumption of just raw foods. People who promote raw foods claim that raw food is packed with natural enzymes that is going to help your body to reach its optimal health. And therefore, you will shed pounds. They also believe that cooking can destroy all the good immune-boosting nutrients that these plants have. So therefore, you should be consuming raw foods. However, the downside is many people may choose to have meats, certain meats which are raw, like fish, some people also choose to have raw milk. Raw milk meaning unpasteurized milk. Some people may have cheese made out of raw milk, unpasteurized milk. Mm-hmm. Guess what? This is not very good. Now, some of the benefits of this particular diet include uh, improved cardiovascular health, the simp- the The reason why these diets impart cardiovascular health benefits is because it's primarily based on plants. And if you make healthy choices, it can be good. Now, these, of course, are low in calories and are going to help you to lose weight. Drawbacks, on the other hand, it can cause foodborne illnesses because of bacterial growth on food, specifically meats and stuff. If some people choose to have meats, meats, it's not really good. There can be nutrient deficiencies, mainly B12, calcium, iron, omega-3. This is simply because people who do choose to have raw meats, and if they don't consume meats at all, sorry, Uh, I take that back. The reason why you get nutrient deficiencies on this diet is because if people are having raw foods and choose not to have raw meats, B12 intake will be low. You get B12 only in meat. So if people are avoiding dairy and meats, you're not getting B12. Calcium. Dairy is a good source of calcium. Calcium. So if you're eliminating dairy from your diet, you stand a chance of being deficient in calcium. Iron again meats and omega 3 fats associated with cooking, cooking oils, etc. Some nutrients also are better absorbed by the body. If the food is cooked and a good example over here is tomatoes for example lycopene in tomato your body will be able to absorb lycopene if tomatoes are eaten cooked not in the raw form so some nutrients need cooking these diets are not always convenient or palatable Finally, gluten free diet. This is the latest uh, in fat diets. Uh, Now, before we jump on the bandwagon to go gluten free, it's important to understand what is gluten, right? So basically, gluten is a protein that is found in wheat, rye, barley, and it is also present in several processed foods, several, and I don't even know where to start naming it, but it's present in several foods. It's present in spices. It's present in condiments. It's also present in toothpaste. You find gluten in lipsticks, lip balms, makeup. So basically, gluten is used for a lot of things. Uh, People who really need to avoid gluten include those suffering from celiac disease, those who have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So basically what happens in celiac disease is that presence of gluten in the intestines can cause the body's immune response to kick in In a way that it will destroy the lining of the intestine. Now, when the lining of the intestines is destroyed, nutrients are not absorbed. And patients or people who have celiac disease will lose weight when they um, have some gluten in their diet initially because their body is not able to absorb nutrients. Their linings are getting destroyed. And when they eliminate gluten from their diet, they feel better. And in some, to some extent, caloric intake can go down. Now, these patients may experience issues like severe cramping, diarrhea, constipation, uh, nausea, uh, stomach pains. Therefore, they need to avoid gluten for life. Now, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, on the other hand, is presence of all the symptoms of celiac disease, however it is in absence of body's immune response. So, non-celiac gluten sensitive patients don't always have um, intestinal lining which has been destroyed, because... Intestinal lining is intact, basically. However, they have to avoid gluten because they can feel, uh, um, they experience the side effects. Normal individuals like us, if we avoid gluten, um, we are really not benefiting because we are not cutting back on calories. If we avoid gluten, we will add something else in our diet, which kind of causes caloric caloric levels to go up. Now, pros of gluten-free diet include reduced inflammation, and this is true for those suffering from celiac disease and uh, those who have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So their bodies will have reduced inflammation. Now, when people start going gluten-free, they also start reading a lot when it comes to nutrition labels. So when you are reading nutrient labels, you are becoming more and more aware of what you are eating, how many calories you're consuming, um, how many grams of cholesterol uh, intake do you have per day, etc. So you're becoming more and more aware. So this may help you move in the direction of healthier choices. Now, some people who go gluten-free also have a high intake of unprocessed foods like fruits, vegetables, legumes, lean meats, which can help them to lose weight because they are essentially making healthy choices. So, and, and I guess this fad probably came into existence because people see those who are gluten-free are losing weight, but they don't understand that this person is losing weight because of certain issues with gluten intake. And they are making healthy choices. Right? Okay. Now, what are the drawbacks? You limit whole grains in your diet because of the thought process that all whole grains have gluten. Therefore, you may develop certain vitamin and mineral deficiencies because whole grains are loaded with vitamins and minerals. Uh, you may lack fiber intake through traditional sources in your diet and this includes wheat um, all kinds of wheat products which are whole grains uh, so you may start gaining weight when you go gluten free because many a times people want to have foods that are gluten free which they enjoy but they don't understand that the food which is gluten free like say Bread, gluten-free bread. When you remove something from the food, you have to add more of something else to maintain texture, taste, etc. So in this case, these foods could be high in fat and or sugar. So if you're removing gluten, you're adding double the fat. You're adding double the sugar quantity, so it's not really helping you to cut back on calories. And also remember, gluten-free products are very, very expensive, so not very economical. So you shouldn't really try to go gluten-free if not indicated to lose weight. Now, do these fat diets work? Bottom line, no, they do not work because basically when you go on these diets, you are depriving your body of its basic needs. So what happens in this case, then your preoccupation with food increases, you start craving something and especially you start craving high fat foods. If you're restricting fat in your diet, if you're restricting carbohydrates in the diet, you will start craving Sugar and sugary foods. This can cause inability to concentrate. This can cause discomfort, fatigue. And then your body has this mechanism in which it will overcompensate for everything. That has been deprived. So when you end these diets, what your body does is it goes in the mode wherein it will start taking up all the calories and storing it as fat. So that's when you start gaining all the weight back as well. It's, it's a normal mechanism of the body. Healthy weight is important. It is associated with longevity and high quality of life. But remember one thing, successful weight loss comes from hard work and commitment. There is no quick cure for overweight despite all the claims. You need to make sure that you lose weight and losing weight has to be multifactorial. If you are seeking to lose weight, obesity is also multifactorial. So you have to think of different factors that you need to change or modify in your lifestyle that is going to help you to lose weight. Over here, aim to increase activity, decrease portion sizes and eat healthy. Losing even 5 to 10% of weight, if you are overweight or obese, can significantly improve your health. Small changes, small dietary changes can result in significant weight loss and significant improvements in health. Remember, energy balance is the key. So what energy balance means is, the amount of calories you are consuming is equivalent to the amount of calories your body needs to perform all the functions. So when calories in equals calorie expenditure, because your body needs that number of calories for the various activities, you will be maintaining weight. Positive energy balance, on the other hand, is going to cause weight gain. That is because your calorie intake is higher than what you are utilizing or what your body is spending. To lose weight, you need to create negative energy balance. Overall calorie intake should be lowered so that your... and you need to increase energy expenditure by increasing physical activity. The best approach again, balanced nutrient reduction diet, which are moderate in fat, carbohydrate and protein. Mind you, these diets are balanced in nutrient reductions. So the Carbohydrate content, protein content, fat content, proportionately decreases as your calorie goes down. Good examples of these diets include USDA's MyPlate recommendations and DASH diet. How many of you have seen USDA's MyPlate icon? Okay. How many of you, so most of, many of you have seen it. Okay. Okay now jenny craig nutri systems weight watchers do follow some of the principles put forth in these diets so i would think you know if if followed properly these diets can be healthy key again is to keep calm and eat healthy so now to quickly give you some of the information Regarding my plate recommendations, as you can see, USDA My Plate is a food icon which is basically what it's doing is it's taking all the advice given by dietary guidelines. So, basically, dietary guidelines how many of you have heard of dietary guidelines for Americans? So basically you have dietary guidelines for Americans. This is a governing body which kind of uh, goes over all the evidence to see what people should eat to maintain healthy lifestyle and give out recommendations for certain age, for certain gender, uh, for certain age, gender, and physical activity level. This is what you need in calorie level. This is what you should eat when, where sodium is concerned. This is what, how much you should eat where saturated fat is concerned. So what USDA did is they took the advice and presented it as a meal plate. So recommendations in USDA's MyPlate are also based of age, gender and physical activity. This is just an example of how a food plan looks like for a 2,000-calorie diet. For example, this is an individual who wants to consume 2,000 calories, is, is balancing his energy by consuming this amount of calories and looking to maintain weight. Then probably this indi- individual should have about 6 ounces of grain in a day, about two and a half cups of vegetables in a day, two cups of fruits, three cups of dairy, and about five and a half ounces of uh, meat uh, and protein products. This um, plan also recommends how many teaspoons of oils should be used in a day, right? So this is what USDA MyPlate does. Uh, the goal is to help people balance calories and physical activity so that they can manage their weight. Also, focuses on certain type of foods that need to be increased in your diet. This includes fruits, vegetables, whole grains, fat-free, low-fat dairy products and seafood. It also Emphasizes what nutrients to limit, specifically sodium, saturated fat, trans fats, cholesterol, added sugars, and refined grains. For carbohydrates, according to USDA MyPlate recommendations, Carb intake will be anywhere between 45 to 65%, and this is ideal. Remember, I mentioned in very low-carb diets, carb intake can be as low as 10%, no higher than 30%. Well, for your body's functioning, proper functioning, you need to make sure carbohydrate intake is between 45 to These diet plans can also help you to achieve your goals for fiber intake, which is about 25 grams for women per day and 38 grams for men. And where sugar is concerned, USDA's MyPlate recommendations basically try to focus on about 25% of total added sugars. However, what American Heart Association does is, It defines it further and limits a little more of how much sugar you should be consuming in your diet. It states that women should look to have no more than 6 teaspoons of sugar in a day or 100 calories from sugar and men about 9 teaspoons. And mind you, when I say added sugar, I mean... You know, any food in which there is added sugar, like cakes, cookies, donuts. You add a teaspoon of sugar in coffee, milk. All this is added sugar. For protein, ideal range is anywhere between 10 to 35% of total calories. Now, in general, Adults need about 0.8 grams per kg body weight of protein in their diet. American diets are very high in protein because meat forms a large part of our diet. So we generally tend to meet the recommendations. Sometimes we are consuming even two times than what is recommended. Now, to give you an example over here, if a person is weighing, say, 220 pounds, that will be roughly 100 kilograms. If you do 0.8 times 100, it comes to about 80 grams per day. So this is a good example, good way to calculate your protein needs. Now, the range, again, can be... As I mentioned earlier, anywhere between 10 to 35% of your total calories, you need to make sure you increase protein by eating healthy, low-fat or fat-free dairy products, eating lean meats, focusing more on seafood, eggs, beans, soy, and nuts, Increasing variety of seafood in the diet and replacing meats that are high in saturated fats, like red meats. You don't have to always replace meats that are high in saturated fat, but you can at least limit it, you know. Fat content, again, can vary anywhere between 20 to 35%. The goal should be that you consume healthy fats. You don't have to cut out fat totally, but you need to make sure you have healthy fats and limit fats to small extent. You need to make sure that saturated fat intake is low. Now, when I say saturated fat, I mean fat That is solid, meaning butter, margarine, mayo, red meats, which are high in solid fats. So when you see red meats, specifically steak, for example, you'll see it will have thick layer of fat, right? So these are solid fats. You need to focus more on nuts, like peanuts, like um, walnuts. These will have healthy fats and will provide a lot of benefits. Olive oil is a very good fat. It it reduces your risk for cardiovascular diseases, helps you to improve uh, improve good cholesterol, helps you to lower bad cholesterol in the body. And fish. Fish contains omega-3 fatty acids. So this is yet another healthy fat that you need to make sure you're getting enough of in your diet. Now, American Heart Association. Now, American Heart Association makes similar recommendations to that of USDA's MyPlate. However, what this association does is it limits or puts, lays emphasis on saturated fat intake limits. So, my plate recommendations state that saturated fat intake in your diet should be below 10% of total calories. American Heart Association, on the other hand, states that saturated fat intake should be lower than 10, if possible, um, lower than 7. In some cases, they recommend lower than 5%. So, that is the main focus and difference. And it also emphasizes limiting salt in the diet. So basically, sodium recommendations are 2,000 milligrams per day or less. The reason why I say American Heart Association is... uh, The reason why I am kind of advocating for American Heart Association recommendations is because people who are seeking to lose weight who are overweight or obese will have some of the other risk factors, cardiovascular risk factors. And this could be like high blood pressure, could be high cholesterol, could be high bad cholesterol, could be high blood sugars. So you need to kind of focus a little on these recommendations, and they're going to help you. Now, dietary approaches to stop hypertension, also known as DASH diet. How many of you have heard of this? This is a diet which is very, very heart healthy. It has been endorsed by American Heart Association. It follows most of the guidelines put forth by USDA's MyPlate and, of course, uh, guidelines put forth by American Heart Association. Now, DASH diet generally is high in fruits, vegetables, low-fat dairy, whole grains, poultry, fish, and nuts, thereby increasing the content of potassium, calcium, magnesium, and fiber, which is good for your health, and low in sugar-sweetened beverages, of course, to reduce added sugars. It's also low in sweets to reduce added sugars. It's low in red meats to correct for saturated fat. It's low in sodium and overall cholesterol and total fat in the diet. Now this uh, slide over here just gives you some tips uh, to help you Lose weight if you are seeking to lose weight while on DASH diet. So basically what this diet states is, again, everything that we went over, try to have more fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet. Avoid canned foods. Use low-fat or fat-free dairy products. Make sure you use low-fat or fat-free condiments or fat-free salad dressings. Eat smaller portions. Cut back gradually. Make sure you read food labels to get an understanding of how much of overall calories that food is providing you with, uh, how much fat content is in the food, etc. So it will kind of give you a lot of information on how to moderate your intake. Now, limit fat foods with lot of added sugars, such as pies, flavored yogurts, candy bars, ice cream, sherbet, regular soft drinks, and fruit drinks. Um, Try to snack on fruits and vegetable sticks, which are unbuttered and unsalted. And unbuttered and unsalted popcorn is also healthy. Sometimes breadsticks also are healthy if they are not buttered and not salted. Try to drink more water and club soda instead of beverages. In summary, what I wanted to state today is that fat diets are really not healthy because you never know how it's impacting your um, nutritional status. If you're following it for a long period of time, a balanced nutrient reduction is the way to go. You need to make sure your diet is providing you with enough carbohydrates, fat and protein in the diet so that the functions of the body can be maintained. You just need to create negative energy balance and you can do that by decreasing overall calories. You don't need to focus on one single macronutrient. You need to make sure the diet is nutritionally adequate. The goal should be to provide wide range of food choices which will then help you to increase compliance and help you to lose weight gradually. Make sense? Yeah? And diet forms the basis of everyday life. So we are eating every single day. It is not just 8 days. It is not just 10 days. It is not just a month or so. It's lifelong. So you need to accordingly make sure you optimize your health by eating healthy, cutting back on uh, calories, so that you can lose weight, lose body fat, promote satiety, reduce risk of chronic diseases and stay healthy in the process. Uh, Macronutrient again doesn't matter. Don't focus on losing weight. Try eating healthy. With this, I'm going to end my talk. And if you have any questions for me, I'm more than happy to answer those questions. Thank you. intermittent diet, intermittent fasting, is that what you're talking about? Okay. Um, I have done some reading on that diet as well, and it's the latest trend. Thanks for bringing that up. I thought I'm going to mention about that diet as well. But yeah, intermittent fasting or fasting is the latest trend. This particular diet basically um, promotes fasting one, two or three days in a week. So basically, you know, one day when you're fasting, it may, it may ask you to just have liquids or it may just ask you to avoid eating anything. The next two days you can eat as much as you like. Then the third day again you are fasting in which you are given very rigid menu plan, if at all, or you are asked to avoid eating. Again, it's the same thing. It's not really helping you. It's not really helping you, and you cannot do that for lifelong, you know. You need to make sure you eat small quantities regularly. It doesn't make sense that you just stop eating or avoid eating two, three days in a week. So that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, and I've come across a lot of intermittent fasting diets which state ad ad libitum, meaning eat as much you want. And um, I haven't seen guidelines, or maybe I kind of didn't look properly. But again, I don't know if I would advocate that. But every diet, as I said will have benefits and uh, harmful effects. So you just need to make sure what works for you and what you want to do, what what your goals are, etc. Yeah. Um, so there are uh, several tests. Uh, what many a times they do is they take biopsy of the intestine. Also they test for um, And I forget the name of that test, which is done for celiac disease. I'm so sorry. It's just not coming in my head now. But they sometimes will do biopsy. They check for inflammation and inflammatory markers as well before they determine. So there is a very specific transglutaminase test, which is done for uh, celiac disease. Pardon me? You are in a sugar... Okay. Um, So, how do you find it? (laughs) And that's good. (laughs) So, see, that's So you're saying added sugar, like, you know, in cakes, cookies, pastries and stuff like that. So you avoid these things. But you are focusing more on healthy carbs because you are having more fruits and vegetables. So definitely that's good. That's good. That's good. Yes. That's a very good question, and this is what I tell people a lot. Many times what happens is when uh, people come to me and have the same question, uh, what they also tell me is that they'll have breakfast, but then they wait for lunch, but they're so hungry when lunchtime approaches that they eat big portions. So this is what I tell people. When you know that you're going to get hungry between meals, then it's always advisable that you have some snacks because otherwise, uh, come mealtime, your portions are going to be big and you are only not helping your health, basically, you know. So three meals and two snacks between meals, I think, is a good um, plan Same thing. As long as you are grazing on healthy foods, it's okay. Doesn't mean you have candies and chips and stuff like that. So small, frequent meals is perfectly fine. So basically you're talking about your genes, right? So if they can test your genes uh, and tell you what you should be eating and not. And there's a lot of research undergoing to see the impact of – so basically we call it the field of nutrigenetics or nutrigenomics. So basically they are trying to see if, you know, certain genes can cause um, – how how your body behaves when you have certain genes, when you eat certain types of foods, you know, and does that predispose you to any disease conditions? But there's no, I haven't um, um, come across um, a lot of research, but there is research, and maybe in the future it will happen. Who knows? Because, yes, technology is really developing, really developing. Yes. I eat pretty low fat dairy,
0: salad dressing, and stuff like that. But a friend of
1: mine recently told me that there's some research out there that eating those low fat um, foods is detrimental to your health. You uh, so, uh, no. And uh, here's the thing we need to remember one thing. When it comes to prepared foods, like cakes, cookies, donuts, and if they advertise it as low-fat or something like that, that's when you know you have to think twice, because if they've reduced fat, they have increased sugar. Or ice creams also, for that matter. Uh, they remove something, they are adding something else. However, you need to kind of make choices based on what are your health goals. Like if you're a normal healthy person who doesn't have any problems. Is looking to maintain his or her health. Then it's okay to have regular um, condiments and spices or regular dairy products once in a while. You just have to make sure you don't do go overboard with it. So moderation is the key. It's not that low-fat products are harmful or can be more harmful than good. No. The be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, um, and that's the thing, you know. (laughs) Um, People use metric systems, I I guess, worldwide, so it's more common. But for this country, yes, it would be practical having it in ounces. Um, I don't know how to answer that question. I wish that was the case. But, um, yeah. I think if you just do Google search and kind of just do like, okay, Grams, two ounces, um, it will tell you one um, ounce equals 30 grams. And just take it from there, you know, because eight ounces is one serving. Eight times 30, 240, 240 grams. And I know it's a lot, but, uh, yeah, I know. I agree with you. <sighs> Any other questions? Welcome.